0: This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing,
1: interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian.
0: All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group, and today I have Scott Berman from Florida, Window Indoor, joining us. Scott, welcome. Thank you. Good morning. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. We are recording this, what, on the second day of Hanukkah and two days away from from Christmas. Yeah, happy holidays. By the way, before we get started, if you have not got a copy of my book yet, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor. You can still do that. Basically, I'll buy the book. You just pay shipping and handling. Go to www.thewealthycontractor.com and there's a button there and you can get a copy of the book. So Scott, welcome. Thank you for being here Let's start off with your background. Give us, you know, give us the two minute version of your story.
1: I'm originally from Cleveland. I was in the window and door business in Cleveland. I actually worked for my father. We were window manufacturers. We sold that business to another manufacturer and we exited the business. And I ended up in Florida in the window business because I was driving down US 1 in North Palm Beach, and saw a window installer replacing a window. And I pulled over and started talking to him and decided after speaking to him that I was gonna go in the window business. And 14 years later, I'm in the window business in Florida. And, and that's basically how we started.
0: Oh wow. So tell me if you don't mind, share a little bit about what your business looks like today.
1: We are a, re- a we're a window replacement company that specifically focuses on impact window replacement and we obviously market through radio, television, internet, canvassing, whatever lead sources we run to homeowners looking to replace windows in their house, mainly for storm protection in relationship to hurricanes.
0: And how many many jobs will you complete this year?
1: Somewhere around close to 4,000, I believe.
0: 4,000. Wow. Correct. And now you have a number of different brands that you sell under, a number of different companies. Do you want to talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Sure. We, well, we have, so we have three basic brands. The first one is Florida Window and Door. The second one is Central Window. And the third one is Indian River Glass. The first one, Florida Window and Door, we started 14 years ago. And then Indian River Glass, we acquired two years ago. And Central Window, we acquired a little over a year ago they all actually operate as independent companies and and they compete against one another for business. So, we operate them collectively as one as three separate companies, but but collectively they're in the same business and space.
0: That's really interesting. So, you're competing against your own Basically, you're competing against yourself, which is actually a really great position to be in, right?
1: Well, what, yeah, we're competing against ourselves mainly because we've determined that when you take over a company, and it's very difficult to change the dynamic of the company, and, and the companies that we look to take over are not really unsuccessful necessarily, they're just poorly managed. So we believe that we can sort of improve their processes, maybe by some of the Florida Window and Door processes in regard to operations and, and, in some cases, sales. But that effectively we acquired these companies because they had good brand recognition in their particular areas and they had good team members in the in the office themselves. They just were they they just were not given proper direction or hope as to future. And so that's how this whole thing sort of happened and and why we compete against ourselves
0: yeah so no real th- th- there wasn't a real vision for the company processes in some cases are a little broken and so there's an opportunity there for efficiency
1: correct we we've been very fortunate in, in the staffs that we've taken over that they're they're very capable they just need a little bit of direction yeah
0: now one of the things that absolutely fascinates me about your acquisition strategy is that all of these companies that you acquire must have one thing in common. Can you share what that one thing is?
1: We require that any company that we acquire have that they own their facility. Either they own them by the company, the owners own them, Or in some cases, the owner's family owns them. But but basically, I'm invested in a lot of different businesses. And and one of the businesses that I'm heavily involved in is real estate. So what we do is we typically look for an acquisition target that happens to be in the window business, but also that owns the real estate. And and that's really been significantly successful for us.
0: Yeah, it's an incredible strategy. Let's break that down or kind of unpack that a little bit that is one of the best wealth strategies there is and as a small business owner owning the building owning your your you know where your business lives is a really good wealth strategy did you go into it with that in mind or did that just come about
1: we identified that in the first acquisition that we did, that real estate was part of the, the original deal when when it was brought to us. And we had been in the process of building our own corporate facility, which we were going to occupy as as one of the tenants of several in our facility. So we determined that you know really from as you said from a leverage perspective the real estate is an important part of doing business and and we wanted to control our own destiny in regard to that so my personal feeling is is that it is a great wealth builder and you know why pay rent to somebody else if you can pay rent to yourself number one and number two most of these companies the, the two companies that we happen to acquire had been in their existing facilities for you know 20 or 30 years so why not acquire them because the facilities because at the end of the day the customer knew where those facilities were why would you take the risk of moving which would only damage the brand yeah so it it really it really revolved around more or less just the right timing the right deal and then ultimately this was our philosophy and we continue to look at deals often uh but turn down a lot of deals because one of the components is is that the real estate isn't a part of it or or the or the company is leasing the real estate yeah which which makes it less attractive for us
0: yeah so if we take that to a a company that might be doing a million dollars a year a couple million. In fact, I was on the phone with a client the other day and one of the questions they had for me we were going through kind of going through their financials. Their financials were really strong. I was I was really impressed and there was a building that they had the opportunity to buy and the price was like they're in a i guess they're in a market where the price was just ridiculously low it was in south florida prices but you know and i told them i'm not an accountant i'm not an attorney you got to go talk to a, a real professional but i said looking at your numbers it's probably one of the best ways of of using your free cash flow is going and buying the building can you Can you just talk a little bit about the mechanics So somebody that's renting right now that would be interested, listening to this and saying, yeah, that sounds great, but how do you actually make this happen? Can you talk a little bit about the mechanics of how you make that work?
1: Well, well, first, let me say this. I'm not an accountant, so I can only speak from a business perspective. But but what I what I can tell you is that not, you know, the important thing of buying a building is, is that first of all, interest rates, as everybody knows, are exceptionally low. So if the building that you buy is a good value and you consider that inflation is somewhere between two to three percent a year and you consider that interest rates on a building are around four, a little over 4%, let's say, depending on your credit and your banking relationships, it's, that's pretty much a break-even point of the interest against the inflation. So if the asset is appreciating at that rate, you, you have basically broken even between the interest expense and the appreciation of the building. The flip side of that and the tax consequences are that, Instead of paying rent, you are paying debt, which you're paying down. So so in essence, it's a forced savings plan for the business or the owner. And the second part of that is you have depreciation expense that you can apply to your taxes relative to either you set up a separate company or you run it through the existing company. So So from our perspective, we look at it more or less as we're able to get the maximum amount of depreciation in the building, the amortization of the asset, and and we find that we're buying buildings that are in good locations I, I wouldn't suggest the company just buying a building to buy the building and it's in a bad location you have to look at the deals separately one is the real estate and one is the window or operating company so if the real estate's bad don't buy the real estate if the company's bad buy the company but if you can find both I would strongly urge you to find both, or if you can acquire a building in a good location, if you believe that that location is going to appreciate in value and you can move your business there, I'm a big proponent of that. And I, and I've done it, at Florida Window and Door, we built a, a facility in, a, in an up-and-coming area that was, you know, somewhat—it w- was somewhat derelict in terms of the quality of the area. But we spent a lot of money building, uh, rebuilding this building and or our location. And at the end of the day, it's turned out to be a phenomenal investment. And what we found is is that companies have now started to revitalize the area around us because of our investment. So we were ahead of the curve by two or three years but it ended up being a phenomenal investment two two or four years later. And and that's really what you look for. So while you're making money in the window business, you've now had an asset that you've taken risk, but you've also seen significant appreciation in the real estate side. So it's a win-win on both sides. And now what happens is we're paying, we're paying basically our rent, to ourselves to pay the mortgage so effectively we're paying the mortgage down which is, again is a forced savings plan right
0: and you're getting the and that's how it works yeah and you're getting the depreciation which is a non-cash expense that comes off of your your taxes you're getting depreciation i mean it's just it's a it's a it's a huge win yeah i was blown away when you first uh told me it just by the way scott's been a, a g4 client for a couple of years so i i kind of knew this going into it but i was just blown away when he first told me about this strategy, just absolutely killer. It, every time I have this conversation to Scott, you know, I'm down in, you know, you're up in, in in West Palm Beach, and I've been actually been up to your office. And when I was driving down the street, and it was two years ago, I think, or two or th- yeah, probably a couple of years ago, when you first were moving into that building. And as I'm driving there, I'm thinking, God, what the hell, what is this neighborhood? And then now, you know, it, you, you timed it, right? You knew that, hey, if I, put some money into this place, it's going to work. But down here, you know, we just moved our office and we were looking for something to buy. And there was nothing. I mean, like not, we could have bought an office condo, which I think is probably one of the silliest investments you can ever make, but that's not here or there. It's, it, listen,
1: it's all about, it's all about timing. I mean, yeah. it, you know, again, it's, it, you know, and, and that's, that's the other thing I would tell anybody is that, don't, don't get emotionally involved. It's, it's about timing. So, yeah. you know, we were fortunate we were at the right time at the right place, but you know, you, you can't get emotional. And, and it, unfortunately, real estate values are in my mind exceptionally high right now, Yeah. but that doesn't mean there aren't values out there. If you can, if you can find them and yeah. you just have to keep looking, I mean, and, and where you are, it's almost impossible as it's, you know.
0: Right. And so that's the, and then that's what I was going to say is, so now I've ended up with this, you know, this big rent payment that just every month I make it, it just pisses me off because I know, I know exactly who I'm making richer and it kind of pisses me off, but you know.
1: Well, there's a real, there's a reason why real estate people are typically the wealthiest people in the country. Let's right. just put it that way.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So, I, I just thought that for the listener, I think that that's, you know, it's, it's, it's really encouraging. And I think it's such great advice to, you know, my mentor told me, you, you make the money in the business. And in some cases, you're going to leave the money in and you're going to invest it to grow the business. But what you also want to do is you want to take money out of the business and put it into other assets. So you don't have all of your eggs in one basket. And you've done that just masterfully. So, so let's talk about poorly managed companies and process. So let's go back to, you met the guy that was installing windows 14 years ago and you decided to get into the window business. Now you already had some experience with the window business. What was kind of, what was the first process that you put into place at Florida window and door?
1: Well, listen, when we first started in Florida, I mean, you know, the Florida market is so much different than the yeah. other markets in the around the country. Yeah. You know, there's so much more regulation and code requirements and inspections. So, when we first started, I mean, we just had no idea what we were doing. I thought we did we didn't we could sell. I mean, you know, as As most of us, I think in this business would agree, the sales process is the easy part of the uh, of the process. but we could sell, we didn't have the administrative side so where we really i mean honestly, for the first ten years, we were figuring out the business down here we We really were. We were just we were tripping over ourselves because we knew there was a market and we didn't have a great process. And, and, you know, we were we were were just an average window company. And, And then we we started to recognize that in order to grow, we really had to create processes that not only fit our company culture, but was just a best practice. And so we literally went from department to department and started developing the process. And the first place we started was sales. And, and what we tried to do was we tried to, we, we tried to, speak to and, and and meet as many successful window companies as we could and determine what their processes were. And just, just became like, even though we had been in the business for many years, we just became sponges and we just learned and we, and we interfaced with these people and and we took their concepts and we, we made them floor to window and door concepts. Not that we, I don't want to say that we stole them or we borrowed them or, you know, copied them, but we certainly learned from them in order to, to create our own processes. And then, and then the other thing that I think we did, which I believe really propelled us to the next level was we made a business commitment to never hire another company salesperson. And I think that, that really took us to a whole different level because What we recognized was that, and I'm sure all of us have seen this, is that, you know, salesman from another company comes in and says, oh, the other company sucks. Company A is terrible. Here's why company A is terrible. And here's my W-2. I sold $3 million worth of product for company A. And imagine what I could do for you. And we used to look at that and be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like The guy sold $3 million. You know, that's great. He'd fit in great here, or, you know, fit in well here. And, and what we found was that disgruntled guy at company A turned out to be the disgruntled guy at my company. <laughs> and not only does he become disgruntled, but then, be, then he just compares company A to company B. And inevitably, the guy realizes that, you know what, maybe the window industry wasn't for him or her to begin with. And so when we made that change, we also recognized that we had to by making that change and getting rid of or being unwilling to hire the, you know another competitor's salesperson, we also recognized that we had to implement our own sales training. And so in my mind, you know those were the areas where we specifically started and really changed our business for the better because it allowed us to not only basically create our own group of soldiers, but it also gave us the ability to grow consistently because we could, we knew that we could train those people and, and we could take a person who was an insurance salesman or a cheesecake factory waiter or whatever the case may be and turn them into a, a Florida window and door salesman who knew how to sell because he followed our best practice. And that's where I think we finally were able to gain leverage and to really 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 grow our business.
0: You answered the question I was going to ask you. So, let me just make a statement to to again to everybody that's listening. One of the big mistakes that we make in this business is this mistake where we we finally make the decision, okay, maybe it's time for me to start hiring a salesperson or maybe you're out and about somebody knocks on your door and says, "Hey, I'm like Scott said, here's my W-2. I sold a 2 million. I sold whatever. And, and then you bring that person on and it ends up in, in most cases, it ends up like what Scott what, what Scott described. In, in, in very rare cases, will that strategy work? So then that just begs the question, well, okay, if I'm not going to hire those guys, who am I going to hire? And then Scott answered that question. But the key to this And I thought it was interesting earlier, I wrote this down, you said the sales process is easy. What did you mean by that? What do you mean it's easy? Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime. The only true does it all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to builderprime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today.
1: I I think the sales, I think once you determine company culture from a sales side, I think the sales process is very simple because I think it, if you hire the right people and they're likable people and they're trainable and, and, they're, and they're capable of learning what you need them to learn, they will sell. You, have, you know, th- th- that's the easy process. I mean, to me, the hardest process in our, in our business is getting the leads, which everybody would agree is the basis of, of success. The second part of that, so, so then the next part is the sales side, which I believe is, is a fairly simple process to, to implement and duplicate. And then the operation side, I think, is, an, is also the, a very difficult part to be in because, first of all, it's not fun it's not glamorous. And what what I find in this industry is typically you have one of two pe- two types of people in the industry. You have one that was the installer who ended up running the, uh, you know, starting a window business because he saw how much the window, allegedly how much the owner of the window company he was installing for was making. And then you have the, the sales guy who saw it from the the opposite side. So you have two different types of owners. My experience has been not, it's very rare that you ever see both combined together. I almost think it's impossible. So from my perspective, because I'm more of a sales guy than I am an operations guy, I think that the sales side is easier for us and it's more fun than the operation side. But ironically, the operation side in my mind is where the good companies are great can be great because they know what it costs to do business. And I, and, I, and I think that when I look at a lot of these companies to, to take over and, or purchase, I don't think a lot of them fully understand the cost of doing business. And as a result, their pricing is wrong. Their model is wrong. And, and in this economy, they can survive. But in a, in, a, in, in a difficult economy, they would be very hard pressed to survive. And so to me, when I looked at the most successful companies in this industry, they're good operators. They figured out the sales side, but they're really good operators. And, and and that, I think, is the difference between the larger companies and the smaller companies. Smaller companies are still selling. They're just not selling for the right price or enough. Uh, enough. And then at the end of the year, they turn around and say, why? That's been my experience.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's been my experience as well. And, and by the way, you, you that's listening and me. We just got a really, really good lesson on how to successfully operate this business. There was a lot in what, what you just said. But to go back to the sales process being easy, I happen to agree with you. Because, you know, there's a lot of sales, quote unquote, systems out there. There's people out there, you know, there's there's one person that I recommend, there's somebody that you recommend, but really what they, all of these, quote unquote, systems are, just your version of taking two or three systems and making it fit your culture. And the important thing that that you said was that you do your sales training um, yourselves. It's an integral part of what you do. And selling is a system. It is a process. You do this first, then you do this, then you do this and that can be taught. So how much time do you spend? Or how much time do your salespeople—not you—but how much time do your salespeople spend each week in training?
1: We have sales training sessions four days a week, and and we're constantly role playing and making sure that they're capable of selling. And and before they even get into the field, they're they go through classroom training that lasts, I believe. It, well, depending on the size of the class, which is usually ten to fifteen people they could they're in there typically three weeks so I mean when they get out of training, then they go into the field for further training, and I would say by the fifth week, they're allowed out on a lead on their own i mean it may you know it may vary depending on the 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 aptitude of the person relative to our testing process, but they are, it's a five-week training session. And what you find is, is that there's a lot of people who don't even make it past the first couple days. Right. So you have, you have, you know, you have tremendous, we, we, we hire all the time and we're always hiring and our classes are always running, but the, the absolute, the, what it basically is, is the class is set up, not only the, teach you but it's also set up to weed out the people who are going to be weak in the field anyway before they ever touch a lead that costs us a fortune they're weeded out of our system so basically they don't even make it to the finish line and And that's on purpose
0: Yeah, and this goes back to what you were saying before about understanding what it costs to do business, your pricing model, your profit model. And when we were talking about process, that leads, creating leads, is one of the toughest things to do in this business. And it's not getting any cheaper and it's not getting any easier. So, another mistake, big mistake that a lot of people make is that they hire somebody they think the person's good they give them the pitch book and then they give them a lead without putting them through the training program and so correct look doing four thousand you know selling over four thousand jobs a year does not happen by luck it doesn't happen by accident it happens through you know listen to some of the words that scott used role playing classroom training by the way let me ask you something when you, you didn't, how many salespeople do you have now?
1: I believe we have close to 50.
0: Okay, 50. So when you had five, did you do role-playing? Did you have a classroom? No. Did you do training? No. You didn't?
1: No, but we should But we should have. It's, it's inexcusable to me that we didn't, but we okay. didn't.
0: That's the right answer, right? It's inexcusable because the only way you get to 50 and, or, or even, you know, a really good five, it doesn't matter. You don't have to do Scott's numbers. You got to do the numbers that are right for you, but- Uh, but I knew he would say that, right? It's inexcusable, right? Uh, So if you want to grow this business and you want to do it the right way, you got to figure out the sales piece as the owner, and then you got to go make leads. So you got to take off your sales hat and you got to go now become a marketer and you got to make leads and then make sure that those get installed properly. Let's talk about, because one thing that I'm pretty certain about you and correct me if I'm wrong, is you don't take on, outs- you don't have like investors and you don't take on debt aside from the real estate deals, right? You didn't build your business no. by taking on debt. No. It was all done through cash flow, right? Correct. Okay, so in order for you to be able to have done that, how important is profitability?
1: Uh, I mean, listen, profit. this is the amazing thing of this business. Um, Everybody talks about volume. Nobody talks about how much money anybody makes. Yeah. You're so, a, you know, the, you are you, the opposite. <laughs> right. So I read your book and, and it was dead nuts. And I sent you the email saying, listen, you know, the, the book was an amazing read because it, it hit on everything that is problematic in our industry that people avoid. So I always use the analogy to my management team, which is I could be riding up in an elevator with five window people in the window business. And the only question they're asking is how many windows did you make or what was your volume? Nobody ever speaks about how much money they make or what their return on their investment is. And that, and, and I think part of that fascination has to do with the lack of sophistication of some of the people who are in our industry just by background. And I'm not saying it in a negative way. I'm just saying it from a, from, you know, a lot of people in this business, many of whom, by the way, are, are, are significantly more successful than I am, but took the time to learn the financial statement side of it and the financial side and the cost of doing business. And, and, you know, I was with somebody recently who, who is a competitor of mine down in Florida And we were talking about business, and they used the ability. They used the analogy that was striking to me, and I I haven't forgotten it. And it was, well, if I have money in the bank, I think I'm making money, and and that's that. That couldn't be further from the truth. Right. But you know, I, I think that people in our business don't understand how expensive it truly is to operate their business. They don't understand if they have the right insurance, if they have the right liability coverage, you know, the right compensation programs, et cetera, et cetera. And I think it, it, you can see that when you go against some of these people in the marketplace and they're 30% less than you, it's, it's physically impossible. Right. So, you know, and I'm not, I'm not suggesting how other people should run their business, but we have seen a lot of financial statements of companies in the last two years. And it is mind boggling. I mean, it, 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 it is mind boggling. So, you know, it's, 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 the, the bottom line is in order to do the things you need to do in this business, you have to be at a proper price point. And you have to be able to sell at that price point because if you don't, volume is not going to get you there. It's just not. Yeah. It's, it's it's unfortunate, but it's not. We're it's not selling so- widgets.
0: Yeah. I, I say it now all the time. I'm not impressed by your top line anymore. I used to be, you know, I used to be, you know, I listened to those conversations. Wow, you did whatever, 20 million. Wow, you did 50 million. Until I started to see the financial statements. And I'm like, you did $50 million and made what? 3%. Right.
1: And you killed yourself.
0: You killed yourself. Why would you do that?
1: Yeah, you killed yourself. Right. Right. You killed I, yourself.
0: I, right. I say it all the time. I've, I, I'd rather have, I'm much more impressed with the $5 million company at a 20% net than I am with the $20 million company with the 5% net. What do you want to
1: do? 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, and I think that's what, you know, I think many people and I did the same thing. I mean, I was always interested in the volume side but the volume side is not the answer. It's, and, and, you know, somebody, I don't know who told us this and I'm sure you've heard it too. The the fact is, is that the the volume is impressive when you first say it, but the, no matter where your price point is, you're still going to close at 30 or 40%. It doesn't really make a difference. So why wouldn't you close at that number? Even if you closed, if you were closing at 40 and you raise your price to close to 30 you would still be better off. That's, that's the irony. So, you know, it's, it's my, uh, my position is strictly profit. I mean, I don't, I don't care about volume. I don't even look at it anymore.
0: Yeah, me too. It's, it's, why would we kill ourselves? Why would we go through all this? And one of the challenges, I mean, one of the biggest challenges that I see with people is, and even back when I, I, I did consulting for like a year, year and a half, which was painful as hell, but People in business have such a hard time with price. They they don't understand that price is a bigger issue with them than it is with the consumer. And as long as you're providing enough value, right, then you'll get your price and the other side of it is, like you were saying, you're going to close at 30, you know, somewhere between 30 and 40 percent. If you have the right sales process, the price isn't really going to matter. You're still going to close at 30 to 40 percent.
1: But it right? goes back to it. But but it's interesting. So it goes back to the first part of our conversation, which is the process. And most right. of these companies do not have the process. Right. And so as a result of that, the only thing they have is the price. Right. And and therein lies the therein lies the, the value proposition that they have to develop in my mind in order to be successful. And, and that's where it takes a little time, but if you think about it and you're able to do it and you're able to put it down on, on a piece of paper, you may not get it right the first time, but, but if you continually improve it day in and day out, you will eventually get it. And, and one of the things I can tell you that we are exceptionally good at is we do not take where we are and just say it's good enough we continually break our company day in and day out Um, specifically as it relates to the end of the year. At the last quarter of the year, we are ripping apart our business and every department saying, okay, where were we successful? Where were we okay? And where did we absolutely miss? And it's important. And I think, you know, the the importance of that can't be understated because as you get bigger and you want to become better, you have to break it down. You, you, you have no choice and, and you got to continually innovate. And, and so you just have to be honest with yourself. But, but if you don't have a value proposition, 100%, you're a price-driven company and you'll never make money in this industry. Never, never. It's so impossible.
0: What is your, what's, kind of, what's your job now as the owner of Florida Window and Door?
1: That's a great question. Uh, what's well, my, job. my job is actually to chart the vision for the future. I am not involved, for the most part, on day-to-day business activity anymore. I don't, I don't hire salespeople. I don't, in fact, hire really anybody except upper management. I base my job is basically to be the cheerleader of our company, to say good morning to everybody, make sure that you know they're doing their job listen a little bit to their personal problems on a very cursory level and, you know, be here if they need me. But for the most part, um, I am not involved in the day-to-day operations of the business. And and it's important to know that because if you really want to grow, one of the biggest things you have to say to yourself is there is somebody who is better than you. And many of us are unable to admit that. And, and if you would have spoken to me, you know, five or seven years ago, I would have said, listen, I'm the best sales guy there is in Florida until I met another guy who was way better than me. And I met another guy after that who was way better than me and realized that, wait a second, there are better people. And, and your job, my job has become to put the best people in place and to, and, and to incentivize my team to grow a business. And, and that's a big job. I mean, it sounds easy, but it's not. It's not. Because there's a lot of personalities involved in our industry, a lot of egos in general. And you know, it's 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 to be the biggest cheerleader there is at all times, whether you're in a good mood or a bad mood. You have no choice. That's still, my job.
0: Yeah, do you still control the checkbook?
1: I I actually in 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 my other two companies, I do not control the checkbook. There's, the checks are signed by a, their CFO. In at Florida Wind Door, because I'm here, I I don't pick who gets paid, but I do like to sign the checks.
0: And what I uh, what I mean by that is, um, yes, physically, do you control that? But it, how important? How much of your time is spent on the finances of the business, making sure? That I spend,
1: I I I spend a lot of time on the finances per se you know let me listen once a month i go with my finance team and we review the financial statements i know from my you know from my head what volume we need to do to break even and where we are relative to making money i can the only thing that i control relative to a day-to-day i the only thing that i'm really involved in heavily is the marketing side i control and make the decisions relative to how much we spend and when we spend and what we spend yeah. that's the only thing that i do and and really in all honesty I'm watching lead costs every hour of the day. Yeah. I, I, am, I am actively involved in that because to me, that's the lifeblood of this company. And the minute you let that go, you're, you're in trouble. So I'm, I would say of all things that I do, that, that is the most time consuming.
0: So it's interesting because you know my mentor, Dan Kennedy, um, one of the things he taught me very early on was there's two things that you do not abdicate control over and that it, one is the checkbook understanding the numbers and knowing what's going out and what's coming in and two is the marketing always got to be on on top of the marketing even though you're not doing the day-to-day actual stuff of the marketing you have like you said you're 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 painfully aware of what's going on with lead flow lead cost lead efficiency you said what every hour of every day
1: yeah we i get a report literally every hour of every yeah. day 7 days a week yeah i know how many leads are setting by the hour and and where they're coming from so it 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 comes on my phone they they, you know there's an app on my phone that that we have that you that it gives me instantaneous information but the other thing i would tell you is you know most of the companies that you would see or, or that you know of the larger companies outside of material expense i would suggest I would I would assume that their advertising expense is their number one line item relative to their business outside of material yeah I think it exceeds payroll I think it exceeds installation costs I mean I think it's your biggest expense so if you don't know where that's going and and it's you know what did they say fifty percent of advertising is is useless I don't remember what the exact phrase was you would know better than me but oh, yeah, if yeah. you don't know where that if you don't know where that money's going it goes fast i mean so we are always looking at lead costs relative to source volume relative to source and we're moving things around and and, and making sure that you know we're we're getting the most we can for our money because as you stated before there's not it, lead cost lead costs are like insurance they continue to go up double digits every year percentage wise yeah. so if you don't know what you're doing you you could end up really in trouble real quick
0: Right. Well, Scott, this has been awesome. We covered a lot of ground in this time. Thank you so much. Oh, let me ask you one last question. Let me ask you one last question. You're to go back, you know, just thinking back over the time that you've been doing this. What's one thing that you'd go back to to younger Scott and and maybe have done differently?
1: I, you know what? I I would say this. Um, the the one thing I would do differently if it was younger Scott twenty years ago. Is I would have picked up the phone to some of the more successful companies and gotten in touch with the ownership and asked them to mentor me. And I think you would have been surprised at the response of the, uh, of the people in our industry, because I think that we, as an industry, operate somewhat in a bubble, because we're scared that we're going to share something that you know is like the, the Coca-Cola formula. But I, I, I think that's the intimidation factor of being in this industry, you versus the larger companies. But I can tell you my experience has been, I mean, you know this you know, way more than I do with, your, with the people that you know. But when you see these people in our industry at, at events or whatever, the, whatever situation you happen to run into them in, they are willing to help you. They are open. And and I think that as a young person, you should take advantage of it because there's a tremendous amount of knowledge there. And, you you know, it's there. I mean, you're not going to read this stuff in a book and you're not. And and unfortunately, 90 percent of the stuff you hear, you're going to turn around and go, okay, you know, when you leave the meeting, you're not going to implement. But it could be that 10 percent. It could be the difference between being good and being great or being average to good. I mean, it depends on where you wanna go. But that would be the one thing that I would suggest. And And the last thing I would suggest is, rest assured of one thing, all of us in this industry, regardless of size, have the same challenges. So just because I'm bigger than the guy next door in in business doesn't necessarily mean that I'm any happier or I'm any more successful. Success is a matter of your own definition. So don't be intimidated by the volume, but ask the questions. I think you'll find that that most of the people in our industry are certainly at our our point are willing to help. And and you never know what could happen. Keep your mind open.
0: Yeah. It's, you know, I tell the story all the time about Somebody introduced me to Charlie Gundell, who's now, he's been a client for 10 years. He's a dear friend. But I met him probably 20 years ago when I was young. And I was so intimidated by him. I went to his office once, got advice, and left and never went back just because I felt so small. And it happens the reality, all the time. Yeah. And the reality of it is that Charlie was happy to help and, and I, it, you know, and one of the things too, and I don't know if you feel this, I feel this that as entrepreneurs, as business owners, we're pretty lonely. Most people don't understand us. To most people, we're weird. And when somebody knocks on your door and is like you and wants to open up and share with you, you want to do everything that you can do to help that person. Because now it's like, okay, now there's somebody else in my club. I don't know if you feel that way, but that's kind of been my yeah, experience.
1: Yeah, 100%. And, that, and that's why I say to you that, you know, there's a lot of information out there. But, but I think that if you really went up to a competitor in your marketplace that was larger than you, and, and it's not going to happen every time, but I think you would be surprised at the response you would get. And, and you know, what's funny is I remember I went to an event and, and ran into a, I never had met the person, but they were a competitor of ours in one of our markets. And I went up to them and introduced, I, I was standing in line at lunch with him, he was in front of me. And I introduced myself to him and we ended up having lunch together. And we sh- we shared a lot of the same war stories. And, and you're 100% right, you had instant camaraderie. I mean, it, yeah. it was like, oh my God, it's amazing. Like this guy, really, I thought you had all the answers. And we've become very good friends ever since. And we compete. And and what's interesting about, what's most interesting is, is that I, well, my policy is I don't hire anybody from another company anyway. But now specifically when one of his people come to me for a job, I call him and I'm like, hey, listen, so-and-so is looking for a job. Just want to give you ads up. Yeah. So I won't hire from his company and I don't think he would hire from mine. And, and we, we have good comparable data. And, and the last point I would make to you is speaking of being lonely, you know, listen, the other, the other part of the story is, is that when business is bad, you always think it's only you, or when leads are slow, you only think it's you. What value would you have if you could pick up the phone to one of your competitors in the same marketplace and say, Hey, Hey, Tim, how's business day on? Oh, leads are really slow. Wouldn't you feel a little better? Right. I think you would. So right. there's a lot of, there's a lot of advantages to it. And, and I do think that you, you got to get out there and be a little less insular in the, in, in your business and, and you won't get accepted all the time. You may get rejected more than you think, but I think at the end, you, when you do maintain or build that relationship, it will provide benefits down the road for sure. <laughs> so- Absolutely for sure.
0: Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting about that is, you know, talking about going to the competition, because most people would think, oh, my God, I can't go to my competition. That, they, they won't want to share everything. Is and, and what's crazy about that is that, you, you know, like your friend and mine, Brian, Brian Elias from one 800 He when I, when I first met him years ago, he, was, he told me, I, my competitors can call me up. They can come here. I'll give them my sales scripts. They can sit in my call center. I'll give them whatever they need to be successful. That blew me away. But that's one of the things I write about in the book. It's like to be really successful in anything that you do, you have to believe that there's more than enough for everybody.
1: Well, listen, I I, I, agree 100%. And I also think, you know, again, knowing Brian, I also think Brian is confident enough to know that 90% of his competitors, if not more could never do what he has done so i I think there's there's the fact that you know i'm happy to share with you because i know the minute you leave my office your head's going to be spinning so fast that there's no way you can duplicate what i'm doing And, and and i think that's the difference between a lot of what brian does And what the next group of companies does is he's going at a hundred miles an hour and everybody else is going at 30 and, and, and they don't even know, you know, he's laughing them and they don't even know it. So I think it, I think it comes from confidence and comfort in your own skin and, and knowing that I got nothing to lose because I, I really know you can't duplicate the culture, which goes back to why I believe the culture is the biggest part of a business and not hiring other people from other companies. It's all like a, it's all a big circle. It's just a big circle. And Brian, Brian epitomizes that. I mean, he really does.
0: So we've gone way over. Do you have a few more minutes? Because you've mentioned culture a number of times. And I'd like to ask you about that. Yeah, go ahead. Cool. So talk to me about culture. You've mentioned the importance of culture. What does culture mean to you?
1: Culture means to me that you have people who in your organization not everybody who are willing to walk through a wall for you or your company and and that means that basically you share a common vision among your team, and it doesn't have to be your management team specifically, because I'm not necessarily speaking of that, but that you have provided a culture in which people want to work for you and they want to be a part of something special. And that means, you know, compensation is a part of that but I don't think that's the end all be all of everything. I think it's it's sharing the vision of where you want the company to go. I think that in this day and age you have to be prepared to make modifications to your system based on the, you know, millennials that are out there and working for us as a group and I think you have to create an environment that is fun and that, you know, while you're selling windows and it and it is a drag some days you have to get everybody excited to be a part of an organization. And I think if you look at it, from an ownership perspective, whether you have five employees, 10 or 200 or 400, you guys, we all know who the, who the negative people in our organization is or are. And I think you have to, you have to really strongly weed them out. And, and you know, you can read a hundred books on it, good to great, what, you know, E-Myth or whatever other books, you, your book. But, but at the end of the day, if you have a negative person in your organization, you got to get rid of them. No matter how painful it is and how much time it takes to replace them, because it corrupts your culture. It just corrupts it. And, and, and it corrodes it from within. And then the last thing I would say to you is when people come to interview with you, they have to feel the energy in the organization. And, and so, you know, you should hire people when you're holding a sales meeting and you have people in the office so they can talk to people informally about the culture that they're living in or going to join. And I, I think it, again, it starts from the ground up or top down, which is the owner coming in and saying good morning to everybody and walking around the office and, you know, having fun with people, joking around with them, not that they shouldn't do their job, but you, you have to, you have to make it fun as well. And the last thing I would suggest to you is the owner has to be willing to do whatever he asks his employee to do. He has to be willing, he or she has to be willing to do that himself because you have yeah, to have right. credibility. Yeah, that's so, great advice. And, and that's culture. And, and, and then the final thing with that culture comes the, the trust in your people to make the decision. So our, our process is very simple. We can, have a, we can have an employee make a mistake and we accept that mistake. We're not happy about it, but they make the mistake. And, and we'll, we'll live with that mistake. But, but it, however, if it's an ethical mistake, it's immediately ter- the person is immediately terminated because we have no room for that and And so, you know, as a result of that, I think everybody understands what they're doing and and what we want them to do and the and the, and the final analysis of everything I can tell you, and I learned this a couple of years ago and i and to me it's it's a lifesaver is that when we give when we give responsibilities or tasks to our employees, we make the manager write them down and we and we make the person who is taking that responsibility, the the coworker, not the manager, we make them write back to us what they heard in the meeting so that we, we know 100% that we're both on the same page. Because when I'm saying something, you hear it one way, but I may have attended it a different way. And by you writing it back, you know immediately, what I know immediately that you understand. You're not just shaking your head, just trying to get out of a meeting. And, it, and it's been a game changer for us.
0: I love that. That's
1: cool. So those are all the things. It's a pain in the ass, excuse my language, but it, it eliminates confusion and it, and it eliminates distortion of message. Love it. And all those things, and all those things lay the foundation for you to, to be able to grow because you can pull that information out of your computer and say, wait a second, remember I gave you this paper, you know, you agreed and you wrote back and said you agreed and here it is in my file. How come it didn't happen. Oh, well, I forgot. Or I, well, that, that's not how that was supposed to be. We agreed on this. Yeah. So, you know, all those things are all those things come with, with time. But you, but the, but the thing is, is you have to continually to, you have to continue to be willing to do it and invest in it. Yeah. You, you really do. Cause otherwise you're just, you're spinning your wheels.
0: Well, Scott, so this has been awesome. So look to everybody that's listening and thank you so much, Scott. This was, this was really great. This is another one of those episodes that is so dense, if that's the right word with advice and education and great information I would suggest you go back and you listen to this one two or three times because each time you listen to it, you're going to get something else. There was a lot packed into this episode. So, Scott, thank you so much. Thank you again for taking your time. Have a great holiday. I appreciate it. you. I appreciate you. And to everybody listening, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. And until next time. All right, so that's it for today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a new way? Did it spark an idea or ideas you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. Now, before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. And a favor. I'd really appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a review of this podcast. Let us know how we're doing. And finally, we started the Wealthy Contractor as a resource to help you, the home improvement entrepreneur, regardless of where you are on the wealthy scale, get where you want to go. We want to provide you with the motivation, the confidence, the resources, and the tools so you too can live the life of the wealthy contractor. Now, the wealthy contractor is a place where it's okay for you to want it all. In fact, it's not only okay, it's encouraged. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskovalsian with G4 Marketing